Uh, as, we, uh, as we come uh, to look at Isaiah uh, and continuing in our series, uh, looking at God is holy, uh, I'd encourage you to have the text open in front of you if, if possible. Um, there's a lot of things um, that we see in the text of God and His holiness uh, that we want to draw out. Uh, I'd also uh, encourage, as we go through, uh, to as best as possible try and picture the scene. So Isaiah um, tries his best to, to create a really vivid picture that helps us uh, to get a better idea of what it means for God to be holy and to get a, a better picture of this spectacular event that comes when Isaiah meets God. Uh, so last week, uh, Harley started our series looking at God, so the attributes of God. So last week was God is knowable. And we come today to God is holy. Uh, now right throughout the Bible, holy and holiness is a, a key theme and idea. Uh, so the very first thing that is described as holy in the Bible is the seventh day of creation. God rested, and he set that day aside to be holy. And then throughout the scriptures, uh, we see that sometimes specific ground is called holy, and the people have to take off their shoes. We see God as our holy God. We see him calling our holy people. Right throughout the whole Bible, holiness is key and central, and key and central most to who God is. Uh, and Emma uh, really helpfully put it uh, in the video of what it means to be holy. Uh, so primarily, uh, holiness is being set apart. It is different. It is other. It is unique. But we also get this picture in this passage in Isaiah and throughout the Bible that that set-apartness, that uniqueness, particularly with God, speaks of so much of who God is. So when we call God holy, we are also saying that He is big, He is eternal, He is powerful, He is righteous, He is sacred, He is perfect. Holy means so much. And we see some of these things in the passage, if you want to look again with me. So the first thing we see of God is Isaiah says, He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And so the very first picture we have of this holy God is our God on our high throne. A throne far higher than the king or queen of any country or the, the ruler of some empire. But this holy God is king of an almighty universe. The holy God is the holy God who sits on the throne. And then as he goes on, and the train or hem of his robe filled the temple. Just the train or the hem. It is not even that God, being big himself, filled the temple, but merely the hem of his robe was enough to fill the temple. And that speaks of if the hem can fill the temple, how big and how glorious and how mighty is this God. So for those of you familiar uh, with the Giant's Causeway and the sto story behind that, you have this Northern Irish giant who hops across to see the Scottish giant. 
And he's scared because the Scottish giant is pretty big. And so he goes home and he wonders, how is he going to win this kind of tiff between the two of them? And so he dresses up as a baby and he gets inside this humongous cot. So the Scottish giant comes over, looks at the baby and thinks, if this is the baby Northern Irish giant, how huge must the real giant be? And so when we see the hem of the robe fill the temple, we've immediately got to think, just how big is this God? How powerful, how much majesty, this holy, holy, holy God. And then as Isaiah continues, uh, we have this pretty weird scene of this seraphim with six wings, covering its eyes from God and covering its feet. And there's something pretty significant about the weirdness of this scene. Because as we think of holiness being set apart and different, the seraphim shows us that this is no ordinary event. This is a holy event. This is a different event. This is God meeting with Isaiah. And so we picture these seraphim flying around, crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And their song shakes the foundations of the temple. The most significant building around, the biggest around, and just their song of God's holiness is enough to shake the very foundations of the building. And Emma talked about this as well in the kids' video. So when you say something once, people are like, yes, okay, I I hear you. And when you say something twice, okay, this is something significant. And this was even more the case back in kind of ancient Hebrew writings. But to say something three times means that if you are going to take anything away from this short phrase, it is that the Lord is holy. The scriptures from start to finish are determined to make us see, if we're going to know one thing about God, we are to know that God is our holy God. He is not like any other of the the gods that were worshipped back in the day. He is not like any other ruler This is our holy, holy, holy God. And the whole earth is full of his glory. So so in our lives, we probably all have some things that we would describe as holy, um, if we were to use the kind of strict definition. Uh, So if you have visitors around to your house to stay, uh, you might have holy towels. And those towels come out when the visitors stay so that they don't have your grubby normal towels. And you might have holy plates. Uh, And then at certain times of the year, your birthday and Christmas, you get presents. You would describe those as holy days. They're different from all the others. You're celebrated. You get presents. The more common the thing is, the less holy it is. It's just common. Everyone does it or everybody has it. It's not a holy thing. It's not set apart or different. But here we see a complete exception to that rule. Because the whole earth is full of this holy God's glory. 
that means that the most common thing in the whole earth to all of us, to all people, is God's glory. Nothing is so visible, so accessible, so common as God's glory. But at the same time, this God is the holy, holy, holy God. His holiness, His glory does not diminish as it is spread around, but it remains whole and perfect. And as we think about God and His holiness, the Scriptures don't allow us to just think of that in the abstract and then move on. They call us to consider God's holiness and then consider His call, be holy as I am holy. So God first says says that in Leviticus. He says, be holy for I am holy. But it's not just one of those things we read in the Old Testament that we don't quite follow the same today. Because Peter repeats that in the New Testament. He says, he quotes the verse, he says, Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And this is a a recognition that Isaiah makes as he calls out. He looks at the holy God, and he realizes himself that he is unholy. He cries out, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, if there was anybody back then who was going to be fit enough to stand before God, it would be Isaiah. So for the past few chapters, uh, he is already a prophet. He has been speaking from God to the people, declaring God's judgment crying out for people to turn away from their wicked ways. He's a man of unclean lips, yes, but he's probably the best of a bad bunch. But even he realizes that standing before this holy God, that he is an unclean man. He is a sinner. And that's why he he comes in fear, because he knows that this holy God, this perfect God, this righteous God, when coming into contact with sinners, the sinners are cast out. And so uh, when they had the Ark of the Covenant uh, and they were traipsing it around, it was a holy object that they were called not to touch, for it was so holy And as they are carrying it, it comes to fall, and people go out to to push it back so it doesn't fall. And they are instantly killed. Sinners coming into the face of God's holiness come out with death. And the scariest thing about that is that It is not just Isaiah or the people of Israel who are in that situation, but it is all of us. That we are all born sinners, and that we are all destined to, at some stage, meet this holy God. And so the way things stand then is, woe is all of us, for we would be lost 
for we could not stand and stay and live in the presence of our holy God. To kind of to illustrate this further, um, there's a fantastic story of when I was in Uganda. Um, so we were there a couple of times uh, at this orphanage. Uh, and the guy who ran the orphanage uh, was a Christian man called Roger. Uh, but beside the orphanage, uh, for quite a few years, was this witch doctor and the witch doctor's practice. Uh, and obviously, being a Christian orphanage, uh, Roger wasn't best pleased. Um, so one day, uh, he decided to show up to the witch doctor uh, with a Bible in hand uh, to talk. And as soon as Roger turned up and the door was opened, the witch doctor fled and never returned. And the, the land that the witch doctor had and the hut and everything became part of the farm for the orphanage. The witch doctor, steeped in sin, couldn't even bear to be in the presence of a Christian and a holy Bible. When sinners are confronted with our holy gods, they run away in fear from what they deserve. And that news is pretty bleak, but verses 6 and 7 give us amazing hope. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So if you were picturing the scene, I'd encourage you to do so again. At this moment, as you see the seraphim, with the burning coal that it's, it's so hot, it's so destructive, it has to carry it with tongs. You would think at this moment, this is when the holy God destroys the unholy Isaiah. But in fact, the very opposite happens. This thing that would be meant to, to destroy touches his lips, takes away his guilt, and atones for his sin. God did not just provide something for sin for Isaiah then, but he sent his perfectly holy son, Jesus, to us too. And on the face of it, as you look at God sending his son, you might think, okay, his son then, the perfectly holy one, has come to destroy us. But Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And it is not as if this holy God just sent down a nice message of how we could be saved. Something that wouldn't cost him a dime. But he sent his one and only son to be the one that takes away our guilt. That atones for our sin. <laughs> to, to deal with our sin. It is not enough that he just came to us but he became the least of us and died the worst death he could die. This holy God, so different, so, so much better, so perfect, out of love for unholy, sinful people, sent his son to die on a cross to take away guilt and atone for sin. 
And so as we come to think of God as holy, as we come to meet with God, we do not have to come into his presence like Isaiah with fear, just trembling and crying out, woe is me. But we get to approach the holy God with full confidence. We boldly come to the throne of God because Jesus Christ has taken away our guilt, atoned for our sin, and what's more, the risen Christ lives inside of us. Jesus Christ has made us, if we are a Christian, he has made us a holy people. And it is not just that he attaches part of himself to us, and so we have kind of the holy exterior, uh, that we can sing our songs loud enough and appear good enough. But when Jesus Christ makes his home inside a person, he changes them from the very heart out. That their whole self is transformed from being dead and in sin to alive in Christ. And so we have his holiness. And so we can say boldly, if we are a Christian, we are a holy person. Jesus Christ has made us holy. And so we can look forward to the day when we meet with God. That day is coming for all of us. And there will be two approaches as we go to that day. For those who do not accept what Jesus has done, for those who do not trust in him, who instead trust in their own holiness, they will meet death and God will cast them out. But if we come to Jesus, if we recognize our sin, if we trust in him, if we allow him to make us his holy people, then we will approach this holy God boldly ready to sing his praises with brothers and sisters. God is our holy God. His holiness is not something we will fully comprehend. But we know that we have a holy God, a mighty God who loves us, a holy God who calls us friends. And friends, let's pray and thanks for that. Lord, we want to say that you are holy, holy, holy. Your glory fills the whole earth. You are perfectly righteous. You are powerful. And you love us with an unrelenting love. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus that he would lay down his life to atone for our sin, that he rose again and lives inside us, that you have made us holy. Amen.